You're listening to Solar Insiders, the fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, who provide innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Sunwiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, as well as One Step Off the Grid and the EV website, thedriven.io. And joining me is a now even more famous uh, solar analytics product development uh, boss, um, Nigel Morris. How are you? And how did you make it onto Craig Kelly's Christmas card list? Uh, (laughs) Well... The short version is, I should know from many, many years of dealing with you, Giles, as a journalist and many other journalists, that you've got to be a little bit careful what you say sometimes. And uh, I was chatting with a journalist about the Woolworths launch and saying how terrific it was and how good it was for business and how good it was for confidence. And uh, in, during the conversation, it came up that government really wasn't supporting us that very much. And I made a sort of offhand comment which turned out to be the headline for the story. Tell us what the headline was. Uh, the headline was Craig Kelly can shove it up his clacker. <laughs> which was it's, it's a little like, bit out of I context, mean, but, you know. A little bit uh, out of context. Well, maybe very not, under- I, 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 I do suspect, Nigel, that you spoke for us all. <laughs> well, you know, let me just say, Giles, I'm very, very, very appreciative that I have an understanding boss. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, that particular contract in the electorate of Hughes might be sort of a bit foregone, but um, yes, yes, no, I can't understand the sensitivities. I, I forgot about that, government contracts and all that sort of stuff, but um, anyway, never mind. But look, well done for speaking the truth and for saying, look, no, really, that's exactly what um, everyone sort of um, thinks, and it's not just Craig Kelly, it's, um, it's all the rest. But, um, it's, but how the rest. it's a small mon- it's a small minority. And, and the point that I was really trying to make is that, you know, uh, Woolworth's announcement, along with, you know, Ikea and Bunnings and, and, you know, Walmart in the US, all of these big companies, what it shows is that solar's come of age. Businesses don't do things flippantly. They do it because it makes good business sense. And, 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 and you know, so the, my, my, the context of my comment was really, around the fact that, um, you know, this is kind of uh, more demonstra- demonstrable evidence that solar just makes enormous, enormous sense, not just for households, but for bus- for very, very, some of the biggest, in fact, energy consumers in this country. And so, um, yeah, yeah what the hell, Craig? Yeah, good on you. Good on you, Nigel. Look, just to remind people, um, if, if you weren't up to date with what the Woolworths announcement was, it was that they're going to go 100% renewables um, by 2025 and actually want to have more than 100% and be carbon positive by then, um, which is just fantastic. And a lot of that's going to be delivered through rooftop solar. Of course, Woolworths have got a whole bunch of warehouses. So um, it's um, there's, there's, there's plenty of roof space to put it on. Um, presuming, of course, that the warehouses are actually um, strong enough to put um, rooftop um, solar on, which just reminds me, um, Nigel, and a segue which isn't on our little news list, um, Jung Rong Shi has actually um, relaunched his uh, EARC. It's his lightweight and flexible mo- um, solar modules, what he calls yeah. um, yes, thin solar or solar skin. So he's actually got some money from the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. And look, Jung Rong Shi mm. um, is one of the founders of the um, solar PV industry, former head of, founder and former head of Suntech, which was uh, for a while the world's biggest solar PV company um, before coming undone, but um, mm, he's relaunched mm. with this and he stuck those panels on the solar train up in Byron, uh, which I see just about every day, and um, on the Maritime Museum, which is another what you call a difficult roof. So look, um, good luck with that yes. particular. And performing yes. really well. I happen to know there's a monitoring system keeping a close eye on that system and uh, it's working like a bomb, actually. Just going, <sighs> there you go. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Good stuff. Good stuff. Mate, um, talking about people who recognise the value of solar, um, the big news, um, the even bigger news than um, your correspondence with Craig Kelly is um, Victorian Budget, which is actually announced this week. They're throwing um, a whole bunch more money at uh, not just rooftop solar and battery storage, but also energy efficiency, which we might get to briefly. But it's fantastic. Mm. Look, they're, they're dramatically expanding the uh, battery storage scheme to make it available in all postcodes in the state. 
and they extended the number quite significantly of the number of homes that will be able to access those grants for the rooftop solar and also extended it to business to do the same so um it's a pretty good huge result, isn't it that's oh, that's so good. I mean, it's 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 so needed. It's a bit all over the place. We've got South Australia feeling a bit nervous at the moment. Some of the solar guys down there are very very nervous about what you know the uh, recent outbreak of COVID might mean. But you know, on the other hand, we've got Victoria finally sort of you know really trying to re-stimulate the economy, which is such good news for all those all those businesses down there that have had a really tough time. So huge news, great news for Victoria. And what I liked about this announcement too was the fact that it came along with there's an $800 million package actually and a lot of it's focused not just on rooftop solar um, and battery storage but also energy efficiency and particularly in low-income homes and this is about encouraging people to throw out their really crappy heaters, be they electric, gas or wood or whatever, which are really inefficient and re replacing them with efficient appliances, um, also upgrading their efficiency in their household, encouraging them to put on proper door seals and um, another things that can just improve the outcomes and reduce the electricity costs so much and to me this is so significant because basically it's like a finger up in the air to the big major utilities who for the past 10 20 years have basically fought these sort of initiatives tooth and nail basically because it reduced the amount of um, electricity that was consumed from their central fossil fuel generators and caused them to earn less money. So look, good on the Victorian government for rolling this out. The proof in the pudding will come, of course, in the way that they actually roll out these schemes. And sometimes these things trip up somewhere along the lines, as we saw with the initial Victorian yeah, they, solar thing. But, you know, they got the benefit of hindsight, at least. <laughs> well, that's right. No, well, foresight and hindsight, we have to say. Foresight yeah. and hindsight. So look, yeah. um, look, well done. So that's, um, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's really good news. Great to see the details yeah. of that rolling out. Mm. Okay. Now, what's happened to somebody um, got a, a, a solar good guy got demastered? Tell me more. Oh, look, this is just one of those funny little stories. So for those of you who don't know Stuart Watson, Stuart Watson's based up around Port Macquarie. He's a genuine solar pioneer, been around for ages, really, really good guy. And amongst other things, into electric vehicles. He's had a solar business for many, many years, but uh, also um, uh, loves electric vehicles and loves sailing. And uh, some years ago, uh, got himself a sailing boat and uh, converted it to solar and electric power batteries in the guts of it, used actually the same motor that's used in a zero electric motorcycle and converted it to a solar electric sailboat, which is wonderful. And he regularly um, sails all over the place. Uh, unfortunately, Stu was out for his sail with his, sail with his mates. They were heading for Lord Howe Island and they got demastered and it turned into an epic 54-hour rescue mission. Uh, one boat that apparently came out to rescue them collided with them, so they also had to be rescued. <laughs> and uh, it was... A, it that's, was the a, of, that's, that, that's the sort of rescue, queue you want, rescue crew you want, doesn't it? A, well, well, it yeah. wasn't, the, yeah, it wasn't the, <laughs> the official rescue. They sent a proper rescue boat out after that, apparently. But uh, the, the, the poor bastards, they were stuck out there. There was ration packs being dropped and GPS and everything else, and Stu was having to ring his missus and explain that he was going to be late home and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, luckily, all uh, home safe and sound. A lot of lessons learned. It made multiple news stories. And uh, the irony of the whole thing is the boat uh, is beautifully called the Solar Coaster. <laughs> and and the certainly solar coaster. it was the Solar Coaster. And uh, certainly uh, Stu has ridden the Solar Coaster up and down for many years. And I suspect this might be, uh, I don't know if this is an up or a down. He made it everyone safe and well. So, you know, be safe out there, people. Um, but good on Stu for pushing it. He did He did very excitedly tell me that the, uh, the as I mentioned, zero motorcycle motor inside, which is his electric drivetrain, uh, when they were demastered, they they tried to motor in, and he ran that zero motor for seventy four hours continuously, which is a hell of a hell of a test for the motor. The motor's still okay, I believe. So well, I, think we can, I, th I think we can safely say that's a record. There could well be a record for seven hours <laughs> continuous use of a zero zero motor. So oh, I'm pretty yeah. sure I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it would be. Yeah. I'd like to know what sort of rations he got. I remember actually being um, I actually sort of sailed across the Pacific about three decades ago. Actually, no, I tell a lie, it was almost four decades ago now. Oof. 
And um, we actually got arrested on the high seas by the French Navy because they suspected us of um, – well, no, they didn't suspect us. We were actually sailing on a stolen boat, but um, um, I, I didn't actually I didn't actually know it was a stolen boat. I was just sort of acting as crew. Anyway, they came out of the sunset and, like, you know, on this rubber ducky and, um, you know, rifles and things everywhere. We didn't even see them until they got – you know, until they were about sort of two metres away. We went, what the hell is this? And it was the sort of French Navy. They'd been tracking us halfway across the Pacific and suddenly decided then to think. But do you know what I really, really liked? They thought that we were – they knew that we were sailing, sailing on a stolen boat. They thought we were guilty as hell. They took us into custody and basically that meant just being towed by this um, other um, – this, this other yacht, that, um, this other boat that came out and towed us back into Tahiti. But you know what they did for the Russians? They knew that we'd been at sea for 10 days and the first thing they did – well, not quite the first thing, but the second thing they did was hand over some provisions and it was two bottles of wine, it was some pâté, some fresh bread and some brie. Oh, I mean, how good is that? Bon. C'est, c'est <laughs> bon. That's beautiful. C'est I don't know if Stewie got that, yeah, but I'll have to check absolutely. in. Yeah. While we're on funny stories, while we're on funny stories, I know we've got a lot to get through this week, but let me tell you about a funny story uh, from Adrian Luke down at uh, down in Tassie, actually DMS Energy. Uh, saw a great little story where he noticed a strange blip on uh, on the monitoring system of a solar uh, of a solar system. Um, sort of set out to investigate, and um, it turns out that what had happened was he'd uh, actually installed some evacuated tube hot water. Uh, a hot water system on the uh, house uh, only a couple of days before, and uh, it was working like a like a cracker. And uh, as they are supposed to do, um, if it gets very very hot, it'll let off some steam. It'll it'll actually blow off some pressure from the system. It was a cracker of a day, so lo and behold, the system blows off some steam. Passerby walking down the street went, "Whoa, hang hang on, that's one of those burning solar systems." Calls the fire brigade. Fire brigade turned up lickety split. They look at the steam and go, whoop, yep, this is definitely a dire situation. We're taking control of the site, turned the solar system down, um, you know, uh, got up there to try and work out what was going on, called the contractor, uh, and to try and slow the steam down, turned off the solar PV system. But, of course, that didn't do anything because it wasn't anything to do with the solar PV system. It was the evacuated tube system that was just blowing off steam. And uh, poor old Adrian uh, went back out there, uh, said, no, 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 the solar system's fine. Let's turn that back on. Uh, and I'll make sure the hot water system's fine. Yep, it's blown off all its steam. I better write a report up on this one. So, so where, where there's smoke or steam, there's not always fire, as it turns out. Well, look, um, this sounds like an error, but I just wonder how long do you have to look at steam before realising that it's not smoke? Mm. Um, mm. There just seemed to be a bit of a distinctive difference between them. But look, yeah. you know, um, at least someone's done the right thing and tried to do the right Correct. thing. Correct. Um, Correct. And um, yes, and le- so everyone I guess learns we a that. But um, yes, <laughs> everyone does learn a lesson. Everyone does learn a lesson. Now, look, talking about lessons, um, Jeff Stapleton um, mm. has been around for a long time. He has a lot of lessons. Um, tell me about your interview with him, Nigel. Yeah, look, this came up last week and I committed and actually did get on to Jeff and had a, had a wonderful chat not too long. Uh, Jeff's a genuine solar pioneer. He, for those of you who don't know him, he's been around since, you know, I, I think it's like 37, 38 years or something in solar. Like, so absolutely genuine solar pioneer. We were talking about some of the lessons that, that people like Jeff have, have, have learned and some of the things they've witnessed over the years. Um, so, you know, a couple of old dudes talking solar. Uh, have a listen. Welcome, Jeff. Welcome. Good afternoon. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Good on you. Thanks for joining us, mate. You came up in conversation last week, actually, because we were uh, we were talking about all the records that are being broken in solar at the moment and um, I was acting like an old guy and talking about the days when you couldn't even imagine that the industry would be as big as it is today and um, that's how you came up and we thought we should get you on because, geez, I've seen some things, but boy, you've seen even more, Jeff. What's your story? Where did you, how long have you been in solar? Let's start there. When I was at uni, University of New South Wales, I was doing electrical engineering, which at the time I hated. I had to take a year off due to health reasons and why there I was a tutor. And that's when I discovered Martin Green and the solar. So back in 1981, when I was doing my final year of my electrical engineering degree, the university allowed me to do Martin's master's subjects as fourth year electives. On t- on designing solar systems oh, and nice. 
my thesis was on solar water pumping, where I was matching the motor with the modules to the pump to try right. to use without electronics. So I've always tried to look for the figures back then. But when I went looking for a job in solar in 82, I think the world's figures were only about, you know, couple of megawatts, maybe 20 <laughs> megawatts. Fine. So trying to total, find in, total installs, two megawatts. I love it. <laughs> yeah, about 20 megawatts, I think, was, was the figure. And uh, But I spoke to a couple of companies that were getting going at the time, but nothing came of it. So I went and did engineering, electrical engineering for a number of years with various organisations. However, I did get involved with the first solar light when I was working department aviation for an obstruction light on a hill ah, back in yeah, yeah. 19, that would have been about 84, 85. Because so signal lighting was one of the very, very early markets that opened up for solar, right? That just there was, there was really no alternative. So signal lighting was a huge part of the business back in the day. Yeah, so this is one of those obstruction lights that sat on the hill flashing red so the planes don't land into into the hill at night time down at Camden. Uh, they couldn't get power to the site. So I remember working with SolarX and coming up with the design. So that was my first in work in solar. But then I um, you know, joined BP Solar in 1987. Yep. And worked for them for two years but decided I'd want to go out in the field. So I started Southern Solar at the end of 1989 down here on the south coast, New South Wales, where for the next 10 years I proceeded to try to sell and install solar systems out in the bush, so to speak. All off-grid, of course. No on-grid back then, right? No, except that uh, other people you might know, Dave Bartley, myself and Steve Garrett, we were hired to install the first grid-connected system in New South Wales at University of New South Wales in about 93. Nice. How big was, was it? A, How big was it? It was a four-kilowatt system. It did oh, also have... Cracker. That would have been worth tens of thousands. That would have been 100 grand, wouldn't it? Yeah, it was actually a demonstration unit that uh, SolarX and BP had worked together on. Yeah, I remember it. To have both sets of panels out there. And the ironic thing looking back on it, or the funny thing looking back on it, the minister had to come and open up the system because under the Act at that point of time, every new generator connected to the grid had to be opened up by the minister. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Always remember in his talk going, I'm going to get that law changed very quickly. Imagine if he had to go around and open up every solar system. Wow. Wow. Imagine that today. You'd have 250, 300,000 visits a year to do. That'd keep him busy. So yeah. so you've run your own business. You've worked for manufacturers. You've worked in uh, the electrical, in the electricity industry. Um, and you got to you got to GSES uh, some years ago too. Uh, give, us, give us a quick version of GSES because then I want to get on and talk about some other things. Yep. Yeah, well, like, um, you're correct. Like, so in the mid-90s, I actually consulted with Illawarra Electricity, which became Integral Energy, and they were because they wanted to supply power either by the power lines or by standalone systems. That led me to going overseas on their behalf and attending the Industry Association conferences in the US, where I spoke to a lot of people from developing countries because they would fly people in there to try to sell promote US products to them. And so my interest was always was off-grid in developing countries. That goes way back. And so why doing that work, I identified a potential that we could take our expertise overseas. And myself, Susan Neal, Stephen Garrett and Kim Atkinson spoke at one of the ATRA meetings together and said, why don't we form a consultancy? to do general consultancy in Australia, but more importantly, take our expertise overseas. So that was GCS being created in 98. Uh, and off, off I used to go travelling, door knocking in countries to see what come, where we could help. But 
it was at one of the conferences in the States. I met um, a person named Lalith Gunnarupni from Sri Lanka and really our first work was in Sri Lanka in 99 onwards and then it grew from there. Yeah. And and you were you so, you're you're constant I mean up until covid of course but prior to that I I knew you as that guy who was just always on a plane or in a developing country somewhere in the world you know Africa the South Pacific Asia wherever it was setting up training centers and helping people in developing countries get business models going is that right Yeah plus, look plus all it, the consulting stuff around the fringes Yeah well what we <clears throat> what we originally planned to do was actually partner small companies already in developing countries and help them grow and help them on their telecommunications projects. However, as per usual, over beers and talking about things, um, you know, I was heavily involved with the accreditation scheme and, you know, at the time I was president of the Ardencia New South Wales for many years. So I was speaking, I often spoke to people about what we're doing in Australia with standards and training. And the end result was people said, can you help us do that here? Yeah. Within a few years, we had turned GSCS into a company that was actually what they call in the donor circuit capacity building that we just then saw that nobody was focusing on quality training and that aspects of the business. And that's how we then grew. I love it. I love so, it. So, yeah, you, prior to... Uh, my last flight, I got into the country two hours before I had to go into self-quarantine. And uh, um, so I met, met, didn't have to go into quarantine. I just missed that one. But, yeah, I used to average in the last 10, 15 years, probably six six months plus a year overseas. Yeah, a lot of travelling. Good on you, mate. Someone had to do it. Uh, better you than me, but uh, uh, but uh, what a, what an incredible number of things you must have seen over those years. Can you ever can you ever imagine going back? You know, twenty years ago. You know, I can remember my bosses at the time demanding future forecasts to try and get ministers excited. And you know, you look you try to look more than ten years ahead, and it just became impossible. And you know, trying to envisage that we would be as big. Did you ever imagine we'd be this big? Did you? <laughs> no, I think thinking about it, the one that really puts that into a, a uh, classic understanding was, you know, just after you know BP and Solarex had merged, and there was a few ex-staff running around from the factories. We had been invited to start looking at creating a new factory in in China, and. We went over to China a number of times. They flew us over, and this is, say, before uh, uh, our friends at University of New South Wales was just probably just talking over there as well. And these um, four businessmen who were fairly high up and different, one was managing airports, one managed owned an airline, they knew their government was going to go solar, so they wanted to look at forming a manufacturing plant. Yep. In 2000, we did all the studies and said, oh, we wouldn't make a plant greater than five megawatts because we still just don't know where you'd sell all those modules. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that always sums it up. That was <laughs> and we could at that point of time, the biggest manufacturing plants in the world are only 20 megawatts. Yeah. And even only one or two of them. Yeah. And so, yeah, so if going bigger than five megawatts, we thought that was too much risk. risk. Too much risk, mate. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Now, right there, ten years later. Yes. <laughs> what? Tell me what? What of all the things that you've done in solar, Jeff, over over all those years? What's um? What's the most memorable thing that sticks in your mind that really you know tells the whole story? That's a great example. Give me one more. Give me one more. Um, but it's hard. Like the memorable things in in solar to me have actually been the friendships I've made over the years. Yep. You know, from, yep, you know, when it really comes down to it, the, you know, the market has just grown enormously that the days of going to the conference in Australia and know everyone is well and truly gone many years ago, yeah. as you would remember. Back in the 90s, you'd go to you'd go to an Atra meeting or that with 100 people and you knew everyone. Yep. And now and now it's just grown, yeah, enormously that you can walk around the all energy and the, 
other events held during the year and you know, I'd only know a small percentage compared to the old days. So I think that really sums up that massive growth, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Like the the nineteen the two thousand and four accreditation figures, there were still only four hundred accredited people. Yep. Yep. There were two hundred in two thousand and four. Because I did the first inspection project for C for BCSE yeah. back in two thousand four, and we inspected one of every system, installer system, and it was only two hundred. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Yeah, it's not that long ago. It seems yeah. like only yesterday to me. <laughs> no, and then you know, in the boom when it happened in two thousand and eight, the the accredited installers grew to four thousand in a twelve month period. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and I think we're like well, I think we're nearly at seven thousand accredited installers now. Yeah, that's the last I looked. Yeah. Yes, yeah, amazing, amazing. So that, that's just amazing. But well, what I will say that you know it's good looking back on is that Australia was way ahead in relation to coming up with a certification program. True for technician. Yeah, that was ninety two when that was first proposed, and NABCEP in the US was um, around 2002 yep. because one of my good friends was the one who wrote it all. Yep. You know, you know, I did a lot of work with this late Mark Fitzgerald who unfortunately passed away in 2005 yep. with cancer at 49, but he was the one that wrote the rules for NABCEP back in about 2002 and three. So they were 10 years after. Wow, and that Australia. that's the and that's the foundation of of the accreditation scheme, and and indeed it even flowed on into the um, various other schemes, the SEC's um, master installer program, and the the CEC's uh, credit uh, approved solar retailer program. All of those programs were born out of that. You know, you guys uh, sitting around in rooms and us all, all talking about what it was like to run a business and how to keep the business uh, quality and safe. Uh, and to deal with all this complex technology that just keeps getting ever ever more complex. Now, listen, tell me because you're because um, you've you've not only been running businesses and doing all sorts of other things, but you've been involved in industry associations the whole way. You're still involved. You were telling me that all you're doing right now is working on this very cool event called SWC Fifty, and it's if I'm not mistaken, it's a, 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 another celebration of of you know the pioneering spirit of solar. But this time, it's a 50-year celebration. What's what's the story? Look, you know, when I first left university, you know, the only really bodied international body that existed to learn more about solar was the International Solar Energy Society. Yeah. It had started in 54. And so, um, so I remember I still am a member of that group, but that's where you learned everything from. Now, that body is still going, and a lot of people probably don't even know about it because the other thing with the growth of the industry was therefore the growth of industry associations. So the Solar Energy Society's role was actually the academic role and the researcher's role originally. So they're, uh, um, they're the people who did all the design work and created the products that we benefit from today. So... I was became a member of the board of ISIS back in, and it is called ISIS, and uh, I don't say that when I leave the country. <laughs> and uh, you know, ISES oh, yes, for yes. those who don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and I was asked to, you know, try to help build a link with industry more again because they do have a good link with industry around the world, but a lot of industry people don't know yeah. them. So in 1970. The very first ever Solar World Congress was actually held in Melbourne. The very first world, uh, so that was the by, first global conference. Yep, there'd wow. been there'd been events where people had travelled around the world, but this was that's why it's called the Solar World Congress. That's what SWC stands Got for. It. So it was hosted by the CSIRO. Roger Morse was the actual then president of the, and that's when it was. Currently only known as the Solar Energy Society, and basically just prior to that, it became to be known as the International Solar Energy Society. So yeah, so we were planning to have a an event in Melbourne in December, two and a half years in the planning, but literally, 
I can remember it well. 4th of March, sitting in Ghana Airport, having one of our meetings, and we decided to go virtual from that very moment. Yeah. And that was all the rest of the world. So so the conference is still going ahead next month virtually. Yeah. We're doing – it's been um, – uh, best way of putting it is we've decided not to cater for any one time zone. Six sessions, eight hours apart over a two-day period. Right. So wherever you are in the world, two sessions will be at a reasonable time. The other session will be recorded at a bad nice. time. Nice. That's a good so, way to do it. Just jump in and get on and yep. Yep, a little bit for every everyone. However, what we've been doing for that is a booklet called The um, Stories and Visions. So we've been doing dot point history is the best way of putting yep. it. Just paragraphs or paragraphs it's just you know what's happened in different years a good flash over but more importantly we did a program of calling for the solar pioneers anyone that was prior to 1995 could send through their details so all up we've got about 250 people who have submitted ranging from yeah people yeah people from Kenya, who have passed away, who was doing solar in the 80s, you know, to the people who started SolarX, Peter Variety, wow. in 1973. So we got a very good snapshot of all the different people being involved, your, your, your scientists. But the one, big, the one big winner, I think, out of the COVID situation was we were originally planning just to have a exhibition down in Melbourne. Uh, that exhibition now has been turned into an online museum. Oh, no way. So oh, that's cool. Jeez, I've, got a few, I've got a few relics hanging on the wall I should send down for you. Well, well it's, it's online, so it's all photographs. And, oh, I love it. Um, so, so I'm flat out now going through all things we've been getting. So that will be launched on the 3rd of December. Same as time as the first version of the booklet. We plan to update the booklet again next year in 12 months' time because we know a lot of people want to add things to Beautiful. it. And the museum will be ongoing yeah. and we'll probably treat it like other museums that every six months we might have a particular display on anything historically. Ah. So it's taken up a lot of my time, but it's been a perfect opportunity for me to touch base with a lot of people I'd met in the past or even people I'd only known of and got to know a lot better over the last few months. And these are, again, people like Peter Varadi, who started SolarX in 1973, yeah. Yeah. the founder. Uh, Charles May, who uh, ran Arco oh, and yeah. then uh, wow. Siemens. And he's just quiet as the head of NREL in the US. So oh, you got been, an all-star cast then. You're an absolute all-star cast. That's awesome. No, very, I was just looking. I, I, I see the link on your website there. The website's swc50.org, everyone. Uh, or, or, you know, just Google it up for the International Solar Energy Society and you'll find your way there. And uh, there's a there's a link on there to send some photos in. I know there's a bunch of solar installers who've got old stuff laying around in their garage. Get a photo of it um, and, and register. Make sure you get along and support this event. Jeff, we need to wind up, mate, but I, I just want to thank you for all your hard work over the years. It's great. I know you've been beavering away in the background here and, um, doing all pulling all of this together is a monumental task, and 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 good on you, mate. You've been helping the industry uh, f from the quiet sides uh, for decades and decades and decades. So so thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing your story, and and stay stay well, mate. We do. Thank you very much, Nigel. So that was Jeff Stapleton from Global Sustainable Energy uh, Solutions. Uh, Giles, I hope it didn't sound too much like two old guys just having a good old natter. But some of the some of the insights and lessons he learned uh, about you know um, the growth that's happened in in his lifetime, which is wonderful to hear and really worth celebrating. Um, you know, some of those people like Jeff and and others out there who really. Laid the, laid the groundwork for the, the enormous industry that we've got today. So wonderful to hear his thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And look, Nigel, it did actually sound like two old blokes having a matter, but um, that's okay. That's okay. That's what it's supposed to be. That's kind of what we and do every week, isn't it? 
<laughs> well, that's what we, exactly. So we can't be critical of that. Right. Um, no, look, it's just great to, 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 to look. It's just just a constant reminder of, of where we come from and, um, and where the industry has come from and where it is now in such a short period of time. And it's, it's, sure it's quite extraordinary. Yeah. So um, yeah. you're fantastic to hear from him. Yeah. And while we're on a bit of a roll, we might just actually just take a message from one of our sponsors. Sunwiz are Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's new partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by a world-leading solar software platform. With personalised training and assistance, PV retailer benchmarking and individually tailored proposals, SunWiz will accelerate your solar business in the right direction. Unlock the wisdom of 10 years' experience assisting leading solar companies by visiting sunwiz.com.au. And we'd like to thank all of our sponsors, of course, Solar Analytics, um, SunWiz, and Clinergy for the ongoing support with the Solar Insiders podcast. Oh, couldn't, and, do um, couldn't do it without them. Couldn't do it without them. Couldn't do without them. And look, and, and all so the listeners too. So thank you very much, guys, for tuning in and sharing your thoughts and your comments. And um, yeah, your compliments and just occasionally your criticisms, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> Nigel. <laughs> We had criticism. Hey, Who criticised us? Jeez. No, that's okay. We got rid of them. No. <laughs> <laughs> we, we sent them back to the cement industry, if you know what I mean. Um, so, yeah. And look, I, I've got to say to people out there, we are actually experimenting with some um, so, some video um, yeah. video clips now. So um, Nigel set himself up with a, um, a couple of fancy cameras and things like that. And... Um, is uh, maybe not filming as we speak, but we will actually be doing a shorter version of the um, of the podcast um, uh, just to sort of see see what that looks like. Um, I know a lot of people like to listen to this podcast as they're doing the gardening, driving, or doing whatever. Um, but look, we th- we think there's an avenue for doing some video stuff, so we're just going to kind of play with some ideas and see how that goes. And look forward to your um, feedback on that, mate. Um, the next stage, Crapsola. Crapsola. Three, three top. Yes. yes. Tell me what's happening. Oh, look, uh, three things. Three things. Uh, Crapsola Award of the Year, I think, actually, uh, because um, ah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's getting to that. It's getting to that stage of the year, isn't it? I mean, it's almost. Uh, it's almost yeah. Christmas. Well, our time was running out, right? <laughs> so, um, no. Uh, a big shout out to the Crapsola website, of course. There's a constant sense of a uh, source of amusement, but. Uh, uh, you know what I witnessed this uh, in the last week was um, actually a, a solar installer up there, um, actually just not even bothering to say it's tier one, but actually just coming right out with it and saying, "Nah, this is just tier two, mate. This is not even the good shit. This is the shit shit." Um, so he just came right out with it and said, "Yeah, this is uh, this is garbage. It's really really cheap, uh, but I can do it for you and I can do it tomorrow. I've got a system, and if you want some crap." I can sell it to you. I dug around a little bit. And, you know, bless him. Looks like a one-man band, little guy trying to make an honest living, but um, unfortunately hasn't really kind of latched on to the concept of quality uh, or not being deceptive or anything else like that. So, you know, a little bit sad to see. Um, there's no need for it, um, really, because there is so much business out there. I don't know why anyone wants to sell solar at 30 cents or what. Uh, when there's plenty of people out there with good businesses selling at a dollar or what and actually selling quality solutions. So, you know, there you go. Um, there is quite a lot around at the moment at th- around that 30 cents a watt mark, which just, you know, boggles me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting inundated with um, ads for this, you know, seven kilowatts at $2,500 or something ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's about that 30 cents a watt yeah. mark, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. there you go. And, and you know, where, where crap solar is really so valuable is it just gives example after example after example of after example of what's going to happen. Of, of why that's a really bad right, idea. Exactly right. Yeah. And and there were just examples of, you know, dangerous workmanship. You know, the favorite one that seemed to be popping up all over the place this week was, was it, you know, these crap installers just going, oh, I can't be bothered just drilling some holes and, you know, putting the electrical cables in the right place. So I'm just going to wrap them around the gutter. Uh, and there was just, you know, there was literally like half a dozen mm, examples yeah. of that. There was solar panels just, you know, hanging out into the air, which is just in the, waiting to, for a storm to come and rip them off. Uh, installs behind chimneys, which is just not going to work. Uh, and, and you know, the old favorite, running conduit uh, without using your brain, uh, which just turns into a water pipe that just funnels water down into the inverter or into the switch gear that just causes fires and failures. So, you know, don't, 
buy solar at 30 cents a watt, um, take some time, um, um, use a good quality installer and pay a price that allows them to do the job properly, people. Yeah. And look, if you do get sucked in on a um, or what seems like a deal that's too good to be true or, or the deal looks good and you end up sort of seeing this thing installed and it looks like crap because there's overhanging the gutters and it's behind the chimney and God knows what else, what should people do? Just ring up the um, – get in touch with the regulator and get them to come out and inspect it and then chase that way? Definitely get in touch with your local electrical uh, regulators um, first and foremost. And, um, you know, you know, we're not all experts, but there are some things that are pretty obvious. Um, for example, cabling um, and, um, you know, the quality and workmanship and, and people doing things properly uh, and solar panels not hanging out in the air when they shouldn't be or overhanging gutters or, you know, use your intuition. And, um, yeah, if you, if you, if you have any doubts, uh, don't let the installer leave site. Ask them lots of questions and, um, you know, perhaps give them a little nudge and say, listen, do I need to get the electrical inspector down here before you leave? Fair enough. Okay, good. Good good advice. Mate, we better leap into the last phase of our things and this is where we sort of go off into electric motorcycle and battery news or even any sort of electric vehicle sort of news. Um, mm. I've, had a, lot of, I've mm. had a lot of fun driving um, my Tesla um, down from Byron Bay to Sydney and Canberra this week and um, I even had a couple of test drives of the electric Mini and the new MG, oh. the MG, the SUV. Oh. And, um, oh. Oh. How was that? Look, I was quite impressed by the um, MG Electric. It's like an SUV. It's a compact SUV, which, which are not cars that I like because, I mean, they do nothing for me because that's not the sort of thing I want. But, I mean, it was a nice car to drive and for 44 grand and you get $10 back, um, it's um, it's a pretty good deal. It's 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 a really good deal. It's the, first it's, it's, it's the lowest priced uh, EV in the country at the moment, I think I read on your website. It is indeed. And it's about um, – you get about 300 Ks of range um, out of it. So um, – that's pretty good, and look, it's inside. Look, it's got a um, panoramic roof, and um, which sort of goes back, so you, got, you can have an open roof if you want one. Uh, we took it up to Kiringai National Park and up to um, um, up to West Head and stuff like that, and it was it would look it was fun to drive. Oh, it was it was really you good. Nearly drove yes. past, you nearly drove past my house, and you didn't even stop in. I, I... <laughs> well, look, we were we were we were we were in a. Um, we were in a um, we were in a convoy, a, a very a very uh, a very strictly monitored convoy with two way radio. Turn left here, turn right there, type of thing. So uh, you know, anyway, there nice, you go. Nice. But look, it was fun. That's a we good excuse. A, we got a good lunch out of it anyway, and. Um, <laughs> And no, no, because it's, it, no, it's it's a good little car, um, except for the fact that they seem to have forgotten any um, any cup holders, or maybe they're sort of hidden under the dash, and I didn't know which button to press to to get them. But um, yeah, but look, pretty good car, pretty good car, and the electric mini. Nice. Well, you know, um, funnily enough, the electric mini is actually not that different from the petrol car version in 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 the price. But um, these minis are oh. funny cars. They're, they're like kind of Tardises, you know, because they're sort of you know, at least for the driver inside is much bigger than you can imagine looking at it outside. But in one of these electric minis, it sort of feels like sort of sitting inside a jukebox. It's just got buttons everywhere and stuff, and you're just going whoa, whoa, whoa. But once you get did used it, to it, did it's it have cool. that? Did it have that little go kart feel that minis are so famous for? I mean, I used to love driving minis because they just you were so low on the road and you felt planted. And did it have that same sort of feel? Well, I felt pretty planted until I actually sort of hit the accelerator in sports mode, and I thought I was actually going to take off. Um, just sort of, you know, quite literally, just sort of, uh, I just thought we get a bit of a wheel wobble there, and I went, "Whoa!" So, um, nice. Look, one of the bit of excitement. Oh, look, one of the frustrations, Nigel, was they actually sort of gave it to me less than half the charge without any um, adapters to sort of charge the damn thing. And um, I spent oh. about half an hour going around the hardboard diggers trying to trying to well plug the damn thing in, and um, and I couldn't. They said, oh, you can plug it into a Tesla thing, which is crap. And then there's the, at hardboard diggers, there's this other thing which, can, which you can only access with a um, with a uh, with an app on your um, iPhone. But of course, you know, deep in the bowels of the hardboard diggers, you can't get any reception. So, uh, uh, <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to go outside, get the reception, and then just sort of get back inside before we <laughs> run back in and connect. Yeah, <laughs> didn't work. Didn't work. Yeah. Didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. tell me about tell me about the zero. Well, there's lots of electric motorcycle news, actually. Um, a very, very old, I'll keep it as brief as I possibly can. There has been some progress on my zero, finally. It's a, it's actually the thing that's really interesting about it. God bless the guys at Ilmofo. Brett Sutherland up there is just the most perseverant, patient man known to 
humanity and is just persevering away trying to get my bike ride going. We've now replaced the BMS. They originally thought that was a problem. It wasn't. They then replaced the main bike main bike board or the sort of main primary computer on the bike that makes everything talk. The MBB, that didn't fix it. And now we're waiting and we're going through step by step by step. Now we're waiting for a new controller to come in because they now think it might be the controller. So it's been a long and tedious process, partially my fault. Uh, and partially uh, not my fault. But um, nonetheless, it is really interesting to see this process taking place to try and actually just unravel, you know, what's going on? Why won't this work? Which part is it that's um, that's going on? And of course, what this reveals is the challenge of being an early adopter when you don't have a big service network and there aren't lots of parts in the country because every time they work out that it might be something else, we have to wait a couple of weeks for one of those parts to be shipped in, which is um, somewhat frustrating. Um, but nonetheless, there is it's, progress it's, being made. It's good to be ahead of the pack, but not so far ahead they can't actually repair the damn thing when it breaks down. Bingo, bingo. But you know, I have to give it I have to give a shout out to Zero, who, you know, after so long are still trying to be helpful and still really, you know, doing a pretty half half decent job of being well, they're doing an incredible job of being very, very patient with an owner and with a bike that's now, you know, six years old. So, you know, they don't have to support me. And they don't have to help, and um, uh, but they are. So thank you, Zero. I really appreciate it because I am so desperate to ride that bike. Um, other big <laughs> news. Stuff. Other big news, very, very quickly. There was a new world record for electric motorcycles uh, last week, incredibly. The Voxen Wattman became the world's fastest electric motorcycle, reached a top speed of 408 kilometers an hour just a few weeks ago in France. For those of you who know motorcycle racing legend Max Biaggi, he was the pilot. He actually set nine new records for electric bikes. There was fared, unfared, you know, there's a whole lot of different classes. Uh, and Max, bless him, um, has been on this project for a couple of years. Voxen's a really interesting company. They're a French company specializing in electric motorcycles who were bought into, uh, who were bought out by a company called Venturi, who it would appear uh, just will build anything that breaks an electric world record. Cars, bikes, boats, planes, they don't care. They're into just demonstrating how fantastic uh, electric propulsion can be. So fabulous to see a new world record. It's been a while. It's been very challenging for them with COVID and everything else. So that's cool. The other thing that's really interesting is um, CF Moto. Now, CF Moto are sort of a Chinese motorcycle manufacturer. They build a sort of you know, low end to mid range kind of uh, electric uh, uh, petrol powered motorbikes. Uh, they get some pretty good reviews. They're a good budget bike, no doubt about that at all. They recently announced uh, the launch of an all electric police motorcycle target, clearly at the Chinese market. Um, it's an interesting looking bike. <laughs> There's not a lot about it, but it does appear to have an onboard taser, which is an interesting feature that some buyers are going to want apparently um and it's kind of interesting <laughs> you'd gone so an onboard an onboard yeah. taser yeah it's got an onboard taser so the story goes um interestingly it's only got an 18 kilowatt peak motor and 120 kilometer hour max speed which was a bit uninspiring so the specs and the battery packs a bit small and it's a bit thin on details and looks a bit lame, but, um, you know, horses for courses, right? Um, uh, in the Chinese market, that is, you know, clearly they've done a lot of research and decided that's all that's required for zipping around um, over there. So, you know, but really, really interesting because CF Motor are, are a pretty substantial company and making some good uh, inroads. So really, really interesting to see that even CF Moto are now jumping onto the electric bandwagon and have got a whole bunch of announcements pending apparently. So we'll be watching that space. And last but not least, um, Italian motorcycle, electric motorcycle manufacturer, Energica. Uh, Energica are the, the company that um, build the bikes for the Moto E series um, uh, that's been running for a year or so now. We've talked about the devastating tragedy when they got ready to start the series and every bike in the pits burnt to the ground in a, in a charger mm. incident, shall we say. Uh, so, you know, mm. but they persevered. The series went ahead. They, they struggled through COVID, but they're out there. They also have, have a growing presence, uh, quite, a, quite a popular following actually around the world, getting great reviews on their bike. And now they've uh, just announced a new bike. Um, it's thirty-three grand uh, Aussie, roughly. So it's very much in the sort of... That sounds good. Well, it's not 
50 grand, right? like some other really okay. cool electric bikes we've talked about. But but what's really cool is what they've done is taken all the lessons and learnings from the uh, race experience, which is classic uh, motorsport uh, transfer of technology. Um, it, it's actually, you know, if I had the dough and was out there getting ready to spend 30 or 40 grand on an electric motorcycle, this would, I have to say, it would probably be one because it's got an amazing 20 one kilowatt hour battery pack that means it's good for about 400 kilometers of city range or 230k highway range that makes it actually probably undoubtedly in fact has the biggest range of any electric motorcycle in the market it has dc fast charging so you can whack this thing and i watched a bunch of youtube videos about it um, it does zero to 100 kilometers now in 2.6 seconds very fast very very fast has a 200 very very quick 240 kilometer hour top speed as well. And if you really want to go for it, there's now a race kit available based on what they've learned on the racetrack. So a whole lot of exotic and gorgeous Italian carbon fiber and, you know, race tech and everything else. So you can add a race kit to it as well. Uh, they, uh, I did read the warranty on that. And of course you, you immediately, they, uh, you have no warranty on the bike if you put the race kit on it, but you can unleash all this extra power and extra performance and muck around with the, the diagnostics and all sorts of other things. So what's really, really exciting in all of this is that, um, you know, we've got new world records. We've got major petrol manufacturers announcing um, uh, entry into markets. And then we've got, you know, some of the stables like Energica and Zero just, you know, continuing to plug away and release gorgeous things. So, you know, plenty going on in the electric motorcycle space. Thank goodness, John. Thank goodness. That's great news. Great news. Good stuff. Nigel, I think that's a bit of a wrap, actually. I think we've given um, we, we're, we're nudging on to an hour, all told, with um, with the Jeff interview. So um, I think we've got to wrap it up. And um, people, watch out for the video um, version of this, a much shorter video version of this that will follow. And um, we'll be back and talking to you on this podcast in a couple of weeks. And once again, thanks to our sponsors, Solar Analytics, Sunweeds, and Clenergy. Nigel, talk to you in a fortnight. Look forward to it. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's new partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. Run your business at maximum velocity with pro setup, training and assistance. Visit sunwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.